Hello and welcome to Animism Listening to the Land podcast. This is episode three, and in this episode we are actually going to dive into a topic we had mentioned in the tail end of episode two about stories, in particular about cosmology. And I'm going to hand it over to Nathan so he can speak on that a little bit. Yeah, so... To start us off, I feel it's important to define cosmology. We touched on this a little bit in our first episode, and I want to reevaluate and come back to that. Cosmology is, is our guiding stories, our narratives that we are born into within our world that guide our language, that guide our actions, that guide our behavior, and guide the ways in which we relate to both ourselves and to others. And the cosmology within our current culture, within Western culture, is one of separation. It's this cosmology of separation that human, it's this human nature dichotomy upon which we are separate from the natural world and that we are somehow above and superior and also alien to all of the rest of the wild ones who we live with and live amongst. That's right, yeah. And I know that you and I want to share some... Um, some of our favorite authors' thoughts on that and also just talk about why cosmology matters, right? Like, why mm. why are we even discussing this in an animism podcast? Absolutely. And I feel that it's important for us to go back to, like, the historical context of this cosmology of separation. And the first content, like, the first place I wish to go is actually a little bit further back than some of us might be anticipating, and that's going back to 12,000 years ago to the Agricultural Revolution. Way back. Yeah. And so the Agricultural Revolution is one of my favorite authors, Paul Shepard, speaks to in Nature and Madness. He speaks to the Agricultural Revolution was not a revolution of agriculture, actually, because to be ingrained in locale and to stay in a place to grow seeds and to harvest them, you actually have to have the resources to be in that place originally. That's right. Mm -hmm. And so he speaks to the agricultural revolution was actually a revolution of our, our psychologies, and it was the beginning of the domestication of animals. And I actually want to reference um, Ralph Metzner in his essay, The Psychopathology of the Human Nature Re Relationship. And this quote I want to share, the original trauma leading to human separation from the rest of life was domestication when the human relationship to the natural world was gradually changed from one of respect for and participation in its elliptical wholeness to one of detachment, management, control, and finally, domination. Wow. And Powerful. Yeah, that was the beginning of our separation from the more than human world to these animal others when suddenly we came into this place that we have the capacity and the ability to dominate them and to be in control of them. And now then, I want to move quite a bit further in the future going back to the like Renaissance era and the scientific revolution and coming mm -hmm. to Descartes and Descartes' Cartesian splits when he has that famous quote of, I think, therefore I am, when, and this quote, could go into that much further, but just to simplify it, places mind and matter as two separate entities, right. and that not all beings who have matter also have mind. And so in this way, only humans have the capacity of mind, and all other wild ones are these 
mechan mechanical beings that are you can be used for our own use and benefit and are actually in existence just for our own use and benefit right right and he's acknowledging that it's a relationship with self predominantly with self right i think therefore i am and there's this great quote in an essay in the the book the handbook of contemporary animism and I'm not going to read you the direct quote, it doesn't really matter, but the point of it is that Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. But from an animist standpoint, or from a, a tribal, traditional culture standpoint, I relate, therefore I am, is the stance. Mm. And that is, those are the philosophical and cosmological visionary differences that we're talking about here, right? Is the Cartesian split versus relationship-based identity, relationship-based um, vision of the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that also brings me to, like, coming now into, from an animistic perspective, that it's not a cosmology of separation, but rather a cosmology of belonging. Right. Absolutely. And there are so many indigenous viewpoints that have cosmologies that are cosmologies of belonging and i also wish to reference that it's not foreign to western philosophers for a cosmology of belonging and specifically reference to baruch spinoza mm, who was yes. a very much so shamed western philosopher from the 16th century and he came into this place, he actually idolized Descartes to a certain extent because he idolized the, his rationality, the way he came to his conclusions and his process. But where he differs from Descartes was he didn't believe that he did not agree with the conclusions that Descartes came to. Rather, the conclusions that he came to using the same rationality Descartes used was that mind and matter are two attributes of the same being. Mm. So all beings who have matter also have mind, and that these two attributes are attached to all. And he was actually, a little history on him, he was um, a Catholic priest from the Netherlands, and he was actually shamed by the church and declared as a heretic, wow. and was shunned for many, many years, and like his work was not very well known until Arne Nice, the founder of Deep Ecology. And Arne Nice came into that work and discovered like this mind and matter are two attributes of the same beings and that all beings who have matter also have mind. He came into Deep Ecology and the, which are the core process of that is that all beings have intrinsic value in and of themselves, whether or not that value is also valuable to humans. Mm. That value is just an existence based on their existence. Wonderful. I love that. Yeah, and I actually have something I want to share which talks directly to this. So there's a, a book called The Dance of the Four Winds by Alberto Villaldo, and it's a book that tells the story of his experience traveling in Peru and learning about shamanism. But, of course, shamanism in traditional cultures is rooted totally in place and in animistic experience of the world. The world as a living place full of living beings. And it's all about relating to those beings and being in relationship to those beings. So there's this conversation he has with a professor at a university who is also a native Quechua man. And they're talking about the cosmology of Western civilization. And so here's some of the, the concepts and 
It's just so beautifully concise. He says, the Western world, the civilized nations, what is called the first world cultures, rule the earth by the right of their economic and military strength. And the philosophical foundation of the Western culture is based on a religion that teaches of the fall from grace, original sin, and the exodus from the Garden of Eden. The concept is fundamental to the mythology of the West. It represents nature as hostile and man as corrupt. And he continues by saying, it is such a peculiar myth. The emphasis is not on man's relationship to his environment, to nature, to the garden, but man's relationship to himself as an outcast, fending for himself, becoming self-conscious in a hostile world. The Westerner has acceptance that this tradition has promoted this concept through art and literature and philosophy. And he says a little bit more down here. He says, you end up with an entirely different focus with the tradition of a culture is not founded on the fall from grace, where man was never banished from the Garden of Eden and lives close to nature. And nature is a manifestation of the divine. And he comes back around on the next page and he talks about the philosophers that you mentioned just now, right? He says that, look at the great Western philosophers of the 20th century, Nietzsche, Sartre, Camus, Beckett, these existentialists, brilliant reasoners, he tapped the side of his head, virtuosos of logic, but they began with the premise that man is alone, a fugitive from nature. They never question this, but they go on logically to describe a philosophy based on the uniqueness and isolation of the individual in a universe indifferent or even hostile to man. The ultimate realization is despair. The ultimate solution is often self-destruction. But, the professor says, we were never banished from the garden, you see. The ground was never cursed on our account, as your Bible claims. Nature is not hostile to us. We are her caretakers. So in this conversation, they're acknowledging two different cosmologies that exist right now, right? Not just historically, but right now. This Western way of thinking is based on being exiles, on being cut off from our relationship to the natural world, on it not belonging, on not having relationships with the world, and the world being hostile to us. And so all of our, even the most brilliant philosophers, already are saturated in those ideas, in that cosmology. And it's so important to acknowledge that and to realize that not all humans on this planet agree with that way of thinking. And those that are more animistic inherently don't. They actually believe the opposite. They believe they are still living in that abundant place of abundance and connection. Absolutely. And I also, like, within those quotes, one thing that I really want to bring into, and what you were just speaking to, like the saturation of mm-hmm. this cosmology, and then there they spoke to not even questioning that cosmology. And I feel it's so important for us to think about the cosmologies that are guiding our lives, that are guiding our actions and our words and all of our relationships in order to reevaluate the ways in which we relate, to reevaluate the ways in which we act and think and exist and be within this world. And to come back and to question them is the vital aspect of understanding cosmology. 
for like that cosmology that Descartes put forth with the Cartesian split that Nietzsche and all these others were saturated in, that they just believed in, and that Western thought has believed so thoroughly for so long. Mm -hmm. It's a very dangerous cosmology, and it's not the only one. Right. There are so many different philosophies and cosmologies throughout the world, and we've given so much in this predominant, like, taker culture that we exist in within Western culture yeah. that we believe, like, these philosophies are the grounded. They're the grounded ones upon which we are moving forward with. And yet now we're coming into a time in which we're looking at other philosophies in the world and starting to give as much credit to them as we have to these Western thoughts. Yes. Uh, Gregory Cahete, uh, author of Native Sciences, beautiful, beautiful man, mm. speaks into like coming into recognizing these other philosophies as being valid. Yes. And taking these other philosophies and integrating them into our academic place and into our own lives and evaluating which ones fit ourselves which ones fit the ways in which we wish to relate to the world. Because just because we're born into this cosmology of separation by being born in the West, it doesn't mean that we have to adhere to it. If right. we come into that place of acknowledging that it's the cosmology we live in, we can then recognize the, honestly, the room upon which we're coming into relationship with, upon we are relating to, and yes. we can change that room mm -hmm. if we so wish to. But in order to change that room, we have to first acknowledge the room and to acknowledge the cosmologies that we exist in. And then once we acknowledge them, ask ourselves the question, is this the cosmology that I wish to guide my life? Right, right. And it's also important to take an opportunity to acknowledge that these other stories that have existed are, were and are being destroyed by our culture, right? Like mm. there's... Um, our culture is so forcefully dominant in this world right now that a lot of these alternate cosmologies are disappearing. And so this is part of the activity of this podcast is to acknowledge that, you know, we live in a colonized world and we are part of the colonizing culture. And so we are inherently <laughs> trying to take responsibility to some extent for that right now in this conversation right now with you, the listener and acknowledge that even right now, as Nathan and I sit in this cabin and record this episode, we are on occupied native land and there are, were and still are stories about this land that are very animate, that are very much acknowledging the relationships with the living beings here. And we are trying to navigate our own relationships with those beings honor those native stories and also not appropriate them for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's very important that we don't encourage any of you as listeners to try and go out and take from other cultures because they sound really good or feel really good to you, but rather to learn from those stories, obviously, and honor them, but also find your own relationship to the living world. Mm, yes, absolutely. And that, once again, actually brings me back to this Ralph Metzer quote that I wrote, spoke to earlier, to that one, the last part of it, to one of detachment, management, control, and finally, domination. When I first read this, and with the, all of my studies of colonialism and the settler colonial societies, when I read this, it dawned on me, um, currently, within that philosophy, it's believed at the beginning of colonialism began with the Romans 
when they started dominating and making other tribes, like Gaulish tribes and other peoples come under their way of living. Mm-hmm. But when I read this quote, it dawned on me that I feel that this, the agricultural revolution, was the beginning of colonialism, was the beginning of the colonizer mindset, because it was first by dominating and controlling like these other animal others that gave us this knowledge and this understanding that we have the capacity to dominate others that then led into the domination of other humans. First, it was this domination of like these other wild ones, these other living ones that then gave us the capacity of realizing, wait a minute, if I can dominate that cow to feed me and give me milk, then I can also dominate that human to build my home and to to plant my gardens and to harvest my crop. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually want to read something to acknowledge why it matters that we own cosmology, why it matters that we consciously change our relationship. And there's this um, beautiful sentence here in an article by Linda Hogan, who's one of the authors that we highly recommend. She wrote a book called Dwellings and This is an essay by her called, We Call It Tradition. Because for a lot of Native people, they don't call it animism. Animism is a construct. It's a word we created to describe a sort of relationship and a sort of way of seeing. But in most traditional cultures, it is their tradition to have animist relationships, animate relationships with the living world, right? But here's this beautiful sentence that sums up why. When once it was hearsay, he says, to take up the notion of the earth or the universe as alive, now it is necessity. We believe very strongly that now is the time for this to be a way to live, and it is necessary because our culture's cosmology is allowing us and causing us to literally destroy life. Mm, Yes, and that brings me into like that cosmology of this mind-matter separation Mm -hmm. and viewing the rest of this world as mechanical beings for our own use as being like this dangerous pathway. But then coming into, if we come into this cosmology of belonging and that mind and matter are just two attributes of the same being, then we then have to acknowledge that all of the rights and social norms that we've given ourselves as humans also apply to all of the wild ones yes. and to all of the beings around us, which comes right back into deep ecology that all beings have their own intrinsic value yes. and that all beings are born with natural-born rights. And I also want to add that this isn't, like, a new thing. That no, this isn't, like, not. within our very world right now, within Western culture and society, there are actually countries who have given rights to wild ones that humans have. Yes. And New Zealand, um, back in, I believe it was 2011, they gave the Wangwe River, um, excuse me, Wanganue River uh, personhood. Yes. So it has, is given like all of the rights to, to be, to live, to have clean waters, and all of, all of that are now given to this river and this river cannot be infringed upon. Their rights cannot be infringed upon. And if they are, it's punishable by law. And there are other countries that have this as well. Like there's um, Bolivia passed the law of Mother Nature in 2010, granting all of nature natural born rights. Mm, and that's wonderful. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, and 
what's interesting is like like you said this is not actually new and when you look at traditional cultures all over the world this was the way they lived each culture had their own specific ways of doing that and they may have had different relationships with different beings different rivers winds clouds and those were not all the same but they did acknowledge them and they did have active relationships with them and they did acknowledge personhood mm. in many many wild beings personhood far beyond the reach of how western civilized culture sees the living world the natural world because we're still fighting this holdover of thinking where most of the world is dead and if it's not dead it's barely alive and it's only alive enough to be used absolutely right yeah and then actually <clears throat> brings me into like coming back into this co like foundations of cosmology of separation that brings me to both Plato and Aristotle mm. where Aristotle deemed that there are these different levels of soul that plants have soul but they only have a certain type of soul right and animals have soul but they only have the animus soul and humans have both of those types of soul and we also have the rational soul right so we're in this hierarchy that we are above mm -hmm. and that only we have this great capacity to think and to be creative and to have imaginations and now coming back to like indigenous cultures and the their cosmologies their cosmologies and this attachment into like the traditions like linda hogan was saying with those animate relations you can see it and feel it within their stories yes and especially if you look at their creation stories mm -hmm. within western culture our creation stories are purely centered around humans but in the creation stories of indigenous communities, they give and attribute powers to animals. They right. give and attribute powers to the wind. And so within these foundations of the stories that they're told as they're born and as they're growing, they're, within these stories, this is an innate lesson to respect and honor all of these other animate beings, to respect and honor their livelihood, to respect and honor all of the teachings and lessons and gifts that they bring and offer to the world. Yeah, yeah, that's powerful. And I really encourage all of you listeners to seek out and listen to creation stories from other cultures. I w was very, very lucky to actually hear part of the creation chant of the Hawaiian people and be able to read a version that actually um, translated it into English. And what I was really struck by, first of all, it was incredibly beautiful and moving. And also, I was very struck by how it didn't rush as quickly as possible to humans. And it's really interesting how in our creation story, there's kind of a rush to get to the, yeah, this was created, that was created, and then there was humans. And, and it's like this, yeah, there's this other stuff, but it's mostly just for us to use. Rather than taking time to acknowledge all these other parts of the universe and the world and these living beings and these living systems that we're part of. And so it's just in that creation story is an implied relationship for the people in that culture. They take more time to acknowledge that the world is alive and that those relationships need to be acknowledged and tended to in an active way, in an honoring way, rather than in a, sure, fish are alive, but, you know, they're only alive enough for me to eat them or sell them. 
yeah. or commodify them rather than making space to really honor them mm. as living beings with their own values, their own living experiences, their own rich inner worlds and relationships. Mm. Yes. And actually, I'm feeling called to share a personal cosmology, personal story, just to give examples and ways we can shift our own stories that we tell ourselves to come into deeper relationship with these other than human beings. Mm. So I grew up in Northern California where a tree, a tree species that lived in that space was the ponderosa pine. And in the land that I was born and raised in, we had this prominent, beautiful, mature, like second growth ponderosa pine right in our front yard. Mm. And they had grown without much competition and they actually had like limbs that were low to the earth and like went all the way up to the top. Wow. And I remember being little and just being like awestruck by this tree, by this wonderful tree. And I remember trying so hard once uh, a good friend of mine climbed her all the way to the top and I was like awestruck, like, wait, what? Oh, okay. Wow. And so I would try and climb her. And at the time, like, I was a little too little and didn't ha quite have the arm strength to be able to pull myself up. Mm -hmm. But over time, like, I would continue to try again and try again and try again until the day came where I finally could do it and I could pull myself up onto that first limb. And then I climbed her all the way to the top and, like, wow. had this incredible, beautiful view that she gifted me and that she embraced me and allowed me to come up into her arms. Now, as the years passed, I grew, my relationship to her grew at distance and became one more of her as a symbol rather than her as a being. Ah, uh, yes. And when I was a senior in high school, um, my parents began to speak about cutting her down and taking her away. Oh, wow. And at first, I was like, why would you do that? She's so beautiful. Like why would you take her away? Why would you take away her life? And as time passed, um, I began to become more adamant about, no, you can't do this. You cannot do this. And then when they were still, like, we're still going to do it, I was like, okay, but at least delay the appointment. I'll delay the um, limbers and cutters coming to take her so that we can continue to have conversations about this. Now, as when I was a senior in high school, I would, was close enough to my high school to be able to walk. I was fortunate that I could walk to and from school. And there was this one day in November of 2014 where I walked home and I got on, crested the hill of my street and came up into view of my property and she was gone. And oh, there was just no. a stump there. And all of a sudden, I just collapsed upon the earth and started crying and weeping and weeping. And I didn't understand it. Wow. I was like, this is just a tree. Like, why am I so torn up about this? Why am I grieving so much for this tree? I wouldn't be grieving this much for this tree if they were just a symbol. Right. And then that's when it hit me. Like, this was a being who had their own sovereignty Yes. their own will, their own volition, their own life, and they were stripped just because they were a little too difficult to manage, just because they were a little too difficult and made things hard and added extra chores to the list of cleaning up her needles. Yeah. Now, fast forward 
a year. Well, actually bring it back for a moment. It was when that she was gone and taken. It was right then and there that I made the decision that I wasn't going to go to college, that I wasn't going to go down the four-year track that all of my peers were going down, mm. and that I needed to take some time for myself to figure out what was going on inside for me, to figure out why I was so depressed and so in so much pain that she was taken. And in that time of several months later, all of a sudden, this book came into my hands, gifted me by my teacher, where the main character in the book, Journey of Socrates, was practicing all of these survival and wilderness skills. Mm. And I was like awestruck by his deep relationship with nature. And so I went on an internet search and just searched. It's like, are there any places that teach these skills here in Washington? A few weeks later, came up and visited. Mm-hmm. Made the decision to come to this school. And then came in through the program. Gained this like deep, deep, heartfelt relationship to all of the wild ones. At the end of the year, went through some rites of passage. And one of the rites of passages I went through was in a place where ponderosa pines were present. And as I went on this final trek of this rites of passage, I looked out into the landscape and they're just shining on the horizon where the sun was hitting them just right, where everyone else was silhouetted in dark, was a lone ponderosa pine shining red Mm. on the horizon. And as I made this walk and I saw that tree, I remembered grandmother ponderosa And I could feel her presence behind me as I went through this walk. And then it hit me. That tree, Grandmother Ponderosa, she gave her life so that I could come back into deep rapport and connection with the wild ones. She gave her life so that I could learn how to listen again. So that I could learn to listen so that I would be an avid caretaker and an avid steward and guardian so that I would not allow such an atrocity to happen while I was present again. And this cosmology of Grandmother Ponderosa teaching me this deep and profound lesson has given me the capacity to now look at all of the wild ones I encounter as potential teachers as potential mentors who can gift me lessons and gift me knowledge that then I can apply and integrate into my life, which now brought me into a place of eliminating and throwing out that idea of a hierarchical system, of being a human that is greater than because of my quote-unquote rational soul, that I'm now higher up than the rest of them, that my soul is on equal terms as the souls of all of these wild ones. Absolutely. And their souls are on equal terms with my own. And through this, they can teach me and I can teach them and we can come into deep reciprocal participatory relationships with each other. And it's this story of Grandmother Ponderosa that gifted me this, that gifted me this way of relating. And it was a story and a cosmology that I came to through my relationship with her. dictated only by our relationship and our story that is now a guiding cosmology for the ways in which I come and participate in the world. 
that is a powerful story of a very powerful experience and you're making me so present to something we need to talk about which is grief mm-hmm. and the importance of acknowledging grief and grief as a way of relating and a way of also taking responsibility for our effect on the world and this is of course coming back around to cosmology because it is because of our culture's cosmology the cosmology of separation the cosmology that Daniel Quinn and Ishmael describes our culture's <laughs> way of looking at the world as the world is there for us to conquer and rule and we're here to conquer and rule it right like that's if you were to summarize our cosmology and sort of our excuse for how we act that is it and yet if you are present to the grief of you know what follows the path of destruction of our culture right like the the genocide of other cultures the devastating oil spills, overfishing, logging, all these things that we hear about again and again and again and get really tired of hearing about. But if you're actually present to the grief that already dwells inside you and acknowledge it, you realize you grieve because you know the world is alive. You already know you're in relationship with the world and you can't deny that and that is why you feel sad and that is why depression is so powerful in our culture because we want to run away from that but it's that grief that allowed you to take the lesson of grandmother Ponderosa and really it was through that that you were honoring her honoring them and it's pushed you to be here to be speaking now to be sharing this story with the listeners with all of you and to be through your story through sharing in this very raw way an encouragement right mm-hmm. not just a story but an encouragement of relating yeah. a, a reminder that all of us all of us have our version of grandmother ponderosa i have i, I can't think of any person who hasn't had some kind of relationship like that and so that story is so powerful because it is so relatable it is very real and it's also a reminder of that we are connected that's already true that's already true mm-hmm. it's a matter of acknowledging it and it's also a matter of understanding that grief comes with that mm, yeah and that brings me into like this cosmology of separation is also a cosmology of silencing Yes. Silencing the voices of all of these animate ones. Because honestly, that cosmology of separation, that cosmology of silencing that we're born into, is easier. It's easier than stepping into a cosmology of belonging. Because to step into that cosmology of belonging is to acknowledge all of these lives, living ones with their own sovereignty that is being stripped away from them. Yeah. Taken from them. Right. And... Like if that, let's say that an, an oil spill that affects hundreds, even thousands of living ones within the waters, mm-hmm. if that was an oil spill within, let's say, New York City, 
we would not stand for that. No. We would not no, allow right. that to happen. Right. But in that same sense, we should also be standing up and not allowing such destructions to happen to these wild ones that are living with us. Absolutely. And this is actually a segue for several episodes to come because we're going to dive into what belonging means and we're going to dive into how to have animist, animate relationships with the living world. And so this is great. We're just setting them up and we're knocking them down. Yeah. And uh, I'm loving all this energy we're bringing into it. And I also want to create a little more space if there's more that wants to be shared right now. Yeah. Well, I feel that, like with this story I shared about Grandmother Ponderosa, like that is a story from my lived experience, my relationships with the wild one. Yes. And these yes. stories, the stories of a relationship to wild ones, and including wild humans, because we are two wild ones. Yes. But those yeah. stories of coming into relationship with nature and with others and sharing those stories with each other is a gateway and a pathway to coming into deeper rapport and coming into belonging and to being guardians and caretakers for all of these wild ones, for the wild realms, for the wild wood. And coming into, we need to share these stories with each other. But to share these stories, that also means we need to go out there and live these stories. Yes. We need to go into those places, into those our local ecologies, and live these stories, develop and nurture these relationships with plants, with birds, with trees, with the sky, with winds, with the sun, the moon, the stars. I could go on. Yes. But coming yes. into those relationships, living those stories, integrating those stories within ourselves, and then breathing life into them, verbalizing them with other humans, and also verbalizing them with the wild ones, mm -hmm. telling our stories of deep relationship with the wild ones and humans. Yes. And the more we speak to these stories, the more we give life to them, and the more we live them, the better caretakers we will be absolutely yeah that's beautifully said and i would like us to end on a spacious note on this episode and do something we haven't done before and that is to actually bring in some of the wild voices from our day today so nathan and i have this beautiful ceremony that we do each time we record a podcast we also go for a walk and we actually make space to listen to the land where we are and we want to invite some of those voices in and so as a way to wrap this episode up we want to take a moment to acknowledge the beings that we spent time with today and one of those beings is the salish sea and we got to stand in front of the salish sea with the wind blowing the waves into the shore and so we're just going to take a moment to be silent and to actually let that voice come forward. All enjoyed listening to one of the voices of the land where we walked today and 
where we recorded this podcast. And I also want to acknowledge some of the other beings that held us and supported us today, including a beautiful Madrona tree and um, some Pacific wrens and some beautiful mossy forest floors and and many many other beings too too numerous to name but all playing their part and we just really want to encourage all of you also to take a moment and acknowledge the wild beings you're in relationship with every day yeah so i wish to to ask to ask of y'all to go into the land and to live some stories with some wild ones and I also wish to ask you to reflect back on your stories that are already within you that are in relations to the wild ones and reflect on these stories and reevaluate them and find and see and feel if there's a story within you that could be transformed into a guiding cosmology to evolve the ways in which you relate to your world. Wonderful. I love it. And I also want to end by saying that both Nathan and myself will make a greater effort to talk more about ourselves. We've been asked to share more about our own stories, and I think Nathan did an incredible job of sharing the story of his relationship to Grandmother Ponderosa. And I will make an effort in future episodes to also share some of my stories and especially those that relate to animism and the animate relationship to the world. Thank you all for listening, and keep an ear out for more from us very soon.